Do be seated. We're going to have our reading. I do suggest that if you have the Bible on your phone, do get it out and follow it today because we're going to look at verses quite carefully. Um, If anybody wants a Bible, there are plenty of Bibles at the back. Andy will give you one. Um, I really recommend it to try and follow things, but also it'll be on the screen as well. So Miriam is going to give us our reading. The reading today is 1 Peter 3, 1 to 12, and 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Wives and husbands. Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to, to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever among you would love life and see good days must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good, Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his prayers are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do it as those who speak the very words of God. If you serve, you should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't think Miriam was that chuffed when she saw which reading she had to do today. (laughs) Um, We're continuing our series on 1 Peter, and today's theme is called Relationships Marked by Love. But in the first part of today's reading, there is some controversy. I think there's an elephant in the room, or even worse, klaxons are sounding. How can we talk about love when half the population reading this 
might feel angry, excluded, or denigrated as lesser beings. We know this is a tricky passage. You were warned, because last week, Anne-Louise, when she was preaching, said, today's passage is really difficult, but that this week would be even worse. I think her exact words were, I pity the person who has to preach next week. (laughs) So it just happens to be me. So we have a controversial passage to dive into, and we're going to deal with that before we can look at anything else. So I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on that. And what we're going to do is to try and think about what was going on here, but also to sort of follow a model that we might be able to use for other passages that we find are difficult in any way, or indeed any other passage. So we're going to sort of model something that you can use in the future and also look at this passage in detail. So we're needing to roll up our sleeves and go for it. Are you, are you with me? Shall we go? Okay. Number one, if you're going to deal with a difficult passage or indeed any other Bible reading, first thing to do is pray. So why don't we do that now? Heavenly Father, we love your words, but sometimes we find it difficult. We pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit upon us to give us insight and wisdom, to grow in us whatever you would want to plant today, something that will flourish and bear fruit and bless others in our daily lives. Take away anything that I say today that's not of you and bless us as we listen and think together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, number one, pray. And obviously, as we talk and as you listen, as we look together, and as you do this, uh, whenever you're looking at the Bible, we can continue to keep praying as we read. The second thing is, obviously, to look at the context. Context, context, context. Who was writing this? Who were they writing to? And why were they writing? And what, you know, what's the setting of this? So Peter, the apostle, the friend of Jesus was writing to Christians in Asia Minor, what's now modern Turkey, in about AD 60. So here are some points that I thought we could draw out about their context, which might be relevant to how we understand what's going on. First of all, these are Christians who are being persecuted. They've been scattered far from home because of the persecution and gone to find other places, either where they felt God was leading them to go and spread the good news or somewhere where they felt safe. So they've scattered around and they're under serious threat. Secondly, they expected Jesus to come back soon. So they didn't feel that there was very long to endure things until everything would be transformed by Jesus' return. And the third thing to note is that I imagine that most of these people were first-generation Christians, people who had become Christians as adults. Because if you think about it, it's only 30 years since the resurrection. Some people would have been, um, had Christian parents, but a lot of people wouldn't. So that might frame how we think about things. So if we look at verse 1, where it says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So Peter's addressing himself to women who have become Christians and their husbands haven't. Their husbands are still pagans, as they would have called it in those days, non-Christians, we might say. And he's saying, I've heard that some of you are worrying about whether you should leave your husbands now that you've become a Christian and your your husband doesn't follow God. 
But he's saying, no, don't leave them. Stay with them and try and win them over. And if you can't win them over by your words, then live a beautiful life and that will win them over instead. And I've got the impression from over the years that this advice has been really helpful to people who have non-Christian partners. So why didn't Peter say that to the husbands as well? Why did he only say that to the wives? Well, Christian husbands, if they became a Christian, then the family were all expected to follow. So naturally, the whole household would have been persuaded and encouraged to come and worship together and to be Christian. So in that culture, he wouldn't really have needed to address the men and tell them what to do in the same way. Whereas for the wives, they were very vulnerable because if their husbands expected them to obey and they were non-Christians, then it could have been very difficult. But he says to them, no, don't leave them, stay with them and try and you know, spread the gospel to them in that way. And I like the way he says at the end of verse six, he says, do not give way to fear. So he's saying, don't be afraid of living in a marriage where the other partner is not a Christian. Don't be afraid, just live out your faith. So in our context, we can change that, or not change that advice, we can expand it. So for non-Christian husbands and wives, we can use that advice about how we might live, uh, why we might speak about our faith, but where we can't do that, we can live it out. So I don't know if that helps a little, but just starting to build up a few blocks um, of understanding. The third way that we might look at is to check what the passage is actually saying, not what we assume it says from a quick glance. Because I think there are certain trigger phrases or words that we just look at them and think, whoa, that, that doesn't sound right, not in, you know, not in our context today. What are they talking about? That's terrible. And we may not actually look at exactly what's being said. So one example might be that uh, in verse 4, um, Peter says of, of, the, of the wives that they should have a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, I don't know if that was a trigger thing for you or a little klaxon sounding off there. It sounds as if he's saying to women, oh, be subservient and be meek and quiet. But I just thought it was worth pointing out that that's what Jesus called himself. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, in, when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and so on, he then says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. So he didn't mean I'm weak, did he? He meant I'm powerful enough that I don't need to force myself upon you. And so there's something here about choosing to submit in situations, not because we are weak, but because we are strong and we don't need to always have our own way. Here's another example. You notice that it said in the beginning of verse three, it said wives in the same way. And then in verse seven, it says husbands in the same way. So in the same way as what? We have to go back to the passage before, don't we, to understand what's going on. So hopefully you listened to or were here for Anne-Louise's sermon. If not, I recommend last week's sermon. And it talked about submitting. And it said submit because of what Christ did, because Jesus suffered. In verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So Christ suffered unjustly, didn't he? He didn't deserve what he suffered. But he did it for us. He endured things because he knew that that was what God called him to do. And so Peter is saying here, in the same way, there might be things we have to endure for now. There might be things that we have to lay aside in order to be more like Christ 
to win over people for the gospel. So if we look at verse 7, the husbands are told, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, don't get all macho with your wives like many people in the culture do and dominate them. Show them respect. Work with them as co-workers for the kingdom, as children of the same heavenly father. And when we think about submission, we, I mean, for me, the klaxon of sort of domestic abuse is raised. It's clear that he is not advocating that people stay with someone who is abusing them. He's saying to husbands, make sure you don't do that. It's quite, well, it's very radical what Peter was saying to tell husbands to treat their, li- their wives with respect and to treat them as partners, to work together for the kingdom. Totally radical in that time. And it was also radical that Peter was even writing to the women. Because in, in the first verse, he addresses them personally. Wives, he says, this is what you should do. So he's clearly expecting that the family of God would be all together listening and listening to this letter being read out and following the instructions. And in the previous chapter, he addresses slaves. In that culture, to talk to slaves as equals and encourage them about how to live in the faith, expect them to be worshipping alongside everybody else, was completely radical. Peter's saying, look, everybody, slaves, wives, husbands, whoever, all of you, be like-minded, in verse 8, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. In other words, he's saying, this is serious, the gospel is serious, and Jesus is coming back. We don't have much time to let people know about the gospel. So let's stop mucking around, standing on our dignity. Let's just get on with it, shall we? I think that's advice that we can follow in any kind of situation, whether it's in a marriage or in a workplace or in a wider family dispute or a neighborhood problem, is how much am I holding on to what's, what I think is right because it's actually a principle that's really worth fighting for and how much is it I just don't like being wrong or admitting that I'm wrong? Can I graciously give way on something in order that we can just move on together? So, in our lesson on how to deal with a controversial passage, how are we doing? We've uh, got some little things in place. We've started to think a bit more about it. But maybe you're not convinced yet. Fair enough. Let's look at something else. Let's look at our cultural biases and the way that sometimes it makes it difficult for us to see what's being said because of the emotion that it provokes in us. Hmm, Well, I think probably we ought to look at verse 3, maybe. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. So Peter's saying, women, don't dress up, don't, don't muck around with your hair, don't wear expensive jewellery, don't, don't uh, spend time on your appearance. Is that what he's saying? Well, I'm not sure he is. Because if he was, you know, we might say, well, how dare he, what's it got to do with him? But actually, what he says is that your beauty comes not from those things, but from your inner self. We shouldn't really be surprised that God says, I care about what's in the heart and not what's on the outside. I mean, that's not, that's not radical, is it? We know that that's the way that God teaches us in so many other passages you can see in the Bible. 
Think of Jesus saying it's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean, not, not what goes into them. So it's not really about, he's not saying don't wear stuff, he's saying that's not, not where your beauty comes from. Your beauty comes from your, your spirit and following God. So I don't really think, I think that one's a bit of a red herring, but you may disagree, we can talk about it afterwards. Then we go on to the even more difficult bits, which is verse 5. This is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Sarah did obey Abraham when he said, right, God has told me we're going to move. We're going to move to the land of Canaan. I'm being called to the promised land. We're going to uproot the whole family, all the flocks everybody else, the whole household, and off we go to Canaan. But if you read the Genesis story, Sarah was no pushover. Read her story and see what she was like. And I think the headlines sometimes don't really describe what's actually going on underneath. So I was thinking of an example for us. Um, In 1995, uh, Chris got a job in Zimbabwe, and we moved to Zimbabwe. That's the headline. Sounds as if I just trotted along like a meek little wife. But was that how it happened, Chris? (laughs) Well, not how I remember it. (laughs) Uh, In reality, we felt that we might be being called to go and work in Africa. So we pushed on some doors, we prayed, we talked about it. Um, And Chris applied for a job. We went for interviews together, didn't we? Um, It was very much a joint thing. So if you said the headline, you know, Chris got a job and off we went, that would describe it in one way. But actually, there's a whole wealth of things going on underneath. And that's how most families work today, thankfully, um, is that people work together as as men and women, as partners, to discuss things together. So have a look at the story of Abraham and Sarah. It's quite complex. I'm not sure if I've convinced you yet, though. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm totally convinced either. There will always be passages in the Bible that jar with our modern ears and might trouble us. This might be one for you. There might be something totally different that you find difficult. So the fifth thing to do in our list of things to do is to persevere. When you don't know, you don't understand, you can't know, you're struggling, don't give up. Some people at this point give up on God, or at least they give up on the Bible when they find passages like this. But I guess what I'm trying to encourage us to do is not to give up but to keep wrestling with it. Theologians say that you, know, you need to be humble when you study because there's always more to learn. People work on translations of words and suddenly realize, oh, maybe it doesn't say quite what we thought it said. Um, there's different things to look at. Scholarship moves on. I think it's important also to say that Peter and Paul, when they wrote these letters, they didn't imagine that they would be preserved and being studied thousands of years later. They wrote them for that time, in that context. That doesn't mean, though, that we can just say, well, that's fine, it's relevant for them, but not for now, because we believe the Holy Spirit inspired them, we believe that Scripture is God-breathed. So we can't just dismiss anything that we don't like in the Bible. We have to keep wrestling with it. We keep talking about it, keep joining life groups, home groups, and, and open church, and come and study them. Ask Paul what books to read, or Peter, they'll be able to recommend good books to read. So we need to keep on this journey. Don't give up. That's one way that you can deal with a passage. 
to try and keep going with it and not to give up. So you can apply that method. And hopefully the elephant, we've acknowledged the elephant in the room, hopefully the klaxons have dialed down a bit and they're not quite so loud in our heads now. Go away and look at it together, look at it by yourself. See what else you can read about it and have a think if this is something that really, you really struggle with. So what we're going to do now to end with is just to look at the advice, the practical advice of loving. We're not going to spend too much time on that because actually when you look at these words, they're quite obvious what to do. Uh, and just needs time for us to reflect on our own lives about how we could apply them. But just remember that Peter is talking with urgency. He's saying, men and women, you're all free in Christ. You can do all kinds of things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you should. If it harms someone else, if it distracts from the message, if it causes too much outrage, what's the point? It'll just get in the way. Don't waste precious time defending your own rights if the gospel could be preached better another way. And we don't tend to have that same urgency about when Jesus is coming back. We, we may well should have. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's harder to have that perspective. But it is urgent that people need the Lord, don't they? People really need the Lord. We need leaders who are faithful with integrity and truth. We need people to look to the Lord as their leader. We need people... People need to be full when they are empty. People need to be mended when they're broken. People need to be given hope. There is so much pain and lostness and anger, desperation and confusion in the world. People need the Lord. So this is important. And Peter is saying, get rid of anything that is stopping you from spreading the gospel effectively. So there's so much practical advice. If you look, for example, at verse 9, it says, don't repay evil with evil. Um, last week, our son Johnny had his car keyed very deliberately and very fiercely by somebody who was cross with him because he'd parked too close to the edge of a bay and they couldn't get into their car very easily. That kind of just uh, you know, casual evil for evil, uh, even though he, he didn't do it deliberately, obviously, when he parked like that. Um, that kind of quick evil just shows how many people are really lost. So don't repay that evil with evil. Repay it with blessing talks about in uh, chapter 4 offer hospitality without grumbling use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace so the parts of these passages that are very practical like this it would be really great for you to take them home and pray over them and think tomorrow which of these am I going to need to do is it going to be about not repaying evil with evil when somebody really winds me up is it going to be um, offering hospitality to someone I can see is struggling Way, how is God going to call me to use my gifts tomorrow? And the bigger picture as we zoom out is in the last verse that we read. In all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So let's get on with loving one another and loving the world around us. It's what Christ died for. I'm going to invite the musicians up to play a song as I pray. So, Father, we offer you ourselves as afresh today. We pray that you'd teach us. We pray that you'd encourage us. We pray that you'd inspire us so that when we go out from this place, the rest of today and the week ahead, we might live for your glory. We might lay aside anything that we don't need to hold on to because we are in a position of great power 
as your children filled with your Holy Spirit. So let us offer ourselves to you afresh. Use us however you want to in the days ahead and help us to keep struggling with your word and keep persevering with it. In the name of Christ. Amen. So do stand or sit for our song as we reflect together.